Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast and for taking the time to tune in. If you're plugging in for the first time, we're glad you're with us. I'm excited for you to meet our next guest and to experience his passion and dedication to helping all of us make better decisions in our careers and life. Matt Confer is the Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at Ability, an industry-leading organization that develops award-winning corporate leadership development and mini-MBA programs for rising leaders and executives worldwide. While together, Matt and I discuss the importance of faster and more effective decision-making the healthcare industry desperately needs and the three steps our leaders need to contemplate to achieve this vital skill set. Additionally, we had the opportunity to have a fun discussion about what it was like to be a TED speaker and the impact this experience has had on both of us. I'm confident you will enjoy hearing Matt's story, passion, and dedication in helping our healthcare leaders move toward more effective decision-making and the positive impact this will have as we continue to work together to reimagine our industry. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for being with us today on our podcast. It is great to be here. Well, Matt, I am fired up to spend some time with you to discuss all things decision-making and your company's industry-leading simulation-based training programs. And from one fellow TEDx speaker to another, we may also need to discuss the amazing experience that is TED. But before we dive into all of your incredible work, Matt, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and interact with the global ecosystem. If you're listening to this episode via our online community, thank you for being with us. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Matt, we're getting close to diving into your important work at Ability and to learn how we can get better at effective decision making. But first, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so we can get to know you personally. Let me select one of three here. Let's see what it comes up with. Ooh, we're talking food. What is your favorite meal? I am a big burger and fries person, so I love sampling different burgers and fries with any city that I travel to. Burgers and fries. Okay, so do you like it spicy? So I love, you know, throw some jalapeno on there, throw some, you know, green hatch chili on it. What's the topping on the burger? So I think it varies. It varies on where I am. I have a friend who does tailgating for football games and whoever the opponent is, they build the food or the menu around that opponent. So I think what I always love to do is I'm based in Austin, Texas. So when I'm here, there are a couple of places that do different brisket or different barbecue on the burger. I kind of like to go for whatever the local cuisine is or whatever the local delicacy is. All right. I can go there. A former football player myself, played ball at Stanford. I get the tailgating, man. I love it. So definitely understand there. We did have a previous guest, Matt, Ed Buckley. He said that his favorite food is truffle fries. And he definitely sees a difference in truffle at different restaurants. I'm a big fan of truffle fries. I don't know about yourself. 
I can definitely get down with some truffle fries. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely have to connect you and Ed so you can have a little sidebar on the truffle fries. So, well, thanks for sharing that. Good food indeed. There's nothing wrong with a good burger and some fries. Well, Ed, we're definitely going to cover a lot today. Like I said, we're going to learn about effective decision-making, maybe even talk a little bit about what it was like taking the stage for your TEDx talk, which has been downloaded now over 50,000 times. But before we do all that, you know, one just doesn't become immediately an effective executive leader to really share and to teach others how to create effective decision-making. So go ahead and take us back a bit and share with us, Matt, how you got to where you are today and helping lead the ability team and what that journey was like leading up to today. Yeah, so I started my career at Deloitte Consulting, which for anybody who has ever worked at one of the big four, one of the larger consulting firms, it really is a fascinating place to start your career. It's this awesome engine. Like they just do things exceptionally well. You learn from really smart people. You get to work on incredibly varied different projects. And so I spent almost the first seven, seven and a half years of my career at Deloitte between the Boston, Massachusetts office and then the Austin, Texas office, which is where I found myself now. I knew that longer term consulting was a great place to launch your career, but I don't think it was the right place for me long term. And one thing that has always intrigued me is what would it be like to work at a smaller organization? So I took a couple of deviations leaving Deloitte, but I found myself at a company called Ability, which I've been here for about two and a half years now. And we are a simulation based learning company. So we do all of our training via simulations. And the whole thought process is, you know, if the military, if pilots, if healthcare workers, if they all do a lot of their training by doing, are we potentially missing something by having wide swaths of corporate America that don't train in the same way? If anything, we're almost PowerPointing them to death by just putting them in a training and doing slide after slide after slide to teach them. So what we've built is competitive team-based simulations. And I'm really proud to be a part of the organization. And that has definitely led us to do a lot of research and work into what makes effective decision-making for corporate leaders all around the world. And we're going to dive more into that, Matt, because it is an important topic, especially here in the healthcare industry. Man, has it been tough to see sometimes how long it takes for the decision-making process, how bureaucratic things can be. And by the way, I just stepped onto my soapbox, so just bear with me for a moment and how that can be paralyzing for this industry, right? I live in the entrepreneurial world that is serving the largest industry in our country, the healthcare industry, and us as entrepreneurs, us as startups, we fail, we fail fast, we break things, we move and iterate as quickly as possible. And that is really antithetical to the industry at large and especially for the incumbent stakeholders. So I'm looking forward to hearing, you know, you guys have clients like Marriott, Coca-Cola, GE, Southwest Airlines. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have learned outside of healthcare and what ability is done with those organizations outside of healthcare that we can be thinking about inside of healthcare, especially during this time of crisis with COVID-19. But Matt, before we go there, it was about a year ago and you took the stage for your TEDx talk. Tell me what it was like getting ready for that. I want to share a little bit about myself too. There's a side story with the band, the Lumineers that I'll share in just a moment. But for you, 
What was that like? Because I know for me, it was incredible. What was it like taking that TEDx stage and getting ready for it as well? It was nerve wracking. I mean, I'll lay my cards out on the table. I I definitely had the pleasure of of speaking at conferences before, but there was something just about Ted being in the title and you tell friends that you're, you know, driving to Dallas to speak at a TEDx event and they give you that kind of look of excitement, but also, wow, like that's something that's definitely, it registers to them. So I don't normally consider myself somebody who gets nervous before getting on stage. I was, I believe the fourth or fifth speaker in the program. I think there were eight total and they give you the option of watching the previous speakers or, you know, you're able to do whatever you want. And I just couldn't sit still. So I made the decision to actually leave the theater and almost pace outside or just sit outside and kind of be alone and not even practicing the speech, just getting ready for it. So Working with the TED organization was one of the more enjoyable things that I've ever done. And the feedback to the talk, which was basically a look at, we've had almost 20,000 people go through our simulations in the past three years when I had gotten up on stage. And what we did was we coalesced around a three-step decision-making process that we've seen some of the most successful teams and individuals in our simulator. If we had to pull it out and say, what do they do from a decision-making perspective that lets them rise above the rest? And we put together a talk called Before You Decide, and it was three steps to effective decision-making. And we're going to go there and talk about those three steps in a bit here, Matt, which I'm looking forward to having our audience learn from you about that. And then, of course, how that springboards into ability. But let's stay on this topic for Ted for just a moment. How did you get selected? How did they find you? It was an interesting process, again, for me. But how, from your experience, how did you get to the TEDx stage? Because I know a lot of listeners are curious on how leaders like you get there. Yeah, so I am have found over my career the power of LinkedIn. And so I had done some work posting on LinkedIn about our perspective on decision-making, wrote articles about it, actually shared what we had learned from running these simulations across many different industries. And actually the founder or the organizer of the TEDx right outside of Dallas reached out to me directly. We set up a phone call. He talked about the event they were planning. This was the second TEDx event that they had planned They had a theme. They thought that decision-making would resonate with their audience. It ended up being, gosh, almost three or four interviews. One, just to kind of get to know you. One, to actually put forward more of a succinct proposal. Then you actually had a follow-up conversation with them. And then as the talk was approaching, you started to do prep calls with them where you gave them kind of an outline. Then you actually did the talk for them. There's definitely a flow and an organization around Ted more broadly that you really get a sense for the gravitas of what you're doing. Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, the way that they literally program it from start to finish. And I'm even talking before you, you know, take the stage months before the planning, the organizational side of getting a TEDx stood up for myself, Matt, a quick story. I can't make this up. So it was TEDx Rhino 2015. It was a River North, a district here in Denver, an arts district. And they really wanted to infuse, you know, arts and music and then speakers like myself and talking about reimagining healthcare. And so they said, hey, Mike, we would love for you to be on, you know, the inaugural class at TEDx Rhino. And we'd love for you to be the last speaker. I'm like, absolutely. No problem. You know, I'll take us home. Right. Well, 
<laughs> they didn't have the rest of the evening planned yet in regards to who's going to be there. They were looking for some artists. One thing led to another. They got a couple of the artists from the band, the Lumineers. Yeah, that band, the Lumineers, <laughs> to join, right? And so they're like, okay, great. Well, we'll plug the Lumineers in, Mike, and they're going to go right before you. And I'm thinking, you're telling me that I have to go and take the stage after the Lumineers perform. Okay. So that was that was quite the challenge and quite the opportunity as well, because I'm a huge fan of that band. And I was definitely a little starstruck even after, you know, having to go and take the stage. So that's my little backstory on my TED experience, but it was unbelievable. Yeah. And the thing that I will mention is for those that are listening, it's definitely been a game changing opportunity in terms of the amount of messages when somebody watches the talk and then they reach out to you to connect on Twitter or LinkedIn or send you an email or they find you via a friend that forwarded a talk. It's truly is a transformational thing to do. It was stressful, but I am very glad that I did it. Well, if you are listening in and you're interested in seeing Matt's TEDx talk, certainly just go and search before you decide three steps to better decision making. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But Matt, let's dive back into ability. You mentioned it uh, just a couple moments ago. Over 20,000 employees have been part of your guys' program. You talked about these simulations, and we're going to focus in on that decision-making piece. And again, as I mentioned earlier, working with some of these global brands like the Marriott, the Coca-Colas, and others, And as you know, leading up to our podcast, I mentioned to you that we have some of the most incredible leaders in the healthcare industry tuning in to our nationally ranked healthcare innovation podcast here. And one of the problems that is definitely here in healthcare is decision-making. So share a little bit more about what Ability is up to and how we might be able to think through that and apply it to healthcare. And then again, we'll talk a little bit more about what you did with uh, TEDx and those three points of decision-making. Yeah, so you hit something that resonated with me and I wrote a note of one of the things that we're firm believers in is that training should be as much reflective of what you face in the real world. And so the way that we've built our simulations, which are fully technologically based simulations, and if anybody in the audience is familiar with SimCity, the game where, you know, you would make decisions, it would reflect, the city would build, you were kind of the mayor of the city. That's kind of a good way to think about our simulation. So for example, one of our simulations is a management simulation and you have these six virtual employees and you and your team are actually making decisions about what projects to work these people on. These people are sending you emails, you're coaching and providing feedback and they're responding to your decisions. The goal of our simulations in many ways is to reflect the real world. So they're all time-based. You're stuck in this quarter or this simulated month of gameplay and there's a clock and it's ticking down and it adds a little bit of intensity. So it forces you to make decisions with your team under a sense of time pressure. And that team is the second component. None of our simulations are individual in nature. We want the simulator to reflect the real world that you face. And we all really face a collaborative world. We need to collaborate with teammates, collaborate with colleagues, talk to and advocate for our position. So team-based, time constraint, and then competitive. So if there's a group of 
24 people in one of our trainings, they're competing with the other team. So if you and I are partners and we make a decision, that impacts potentially the market that the other teams are selling into. And so during the debrief sessions, we're able to talk pretty openly about, well, team number seven here made this decision. Why did you guys do that? And why when forced with this decision, did you go in that direction? So it allows a level of collaboration between the group that I think is a wonderful learning environment. And who are these executives or team members from organizations that are taking part in this, you know, describing that persona? Is it just the C-suite? Is it directors? Is it managers? Is it the frontline staff? And when I say frontline staff, I always go into healthcare and serving the patient, right? Our end customer, our end consumer. Who are these leaders that are taking part in these simulations? Yeah, so the bulk would be, I would describe them as either new managers, rising leaders, or high potentials. That would probably be the second group and then the executive level. The other part that's kind of interesting about our organization is we do a lot of work in the nonprofit and the university space as well. So we're based here in Austin, Texas. One of our longest standing clients is the University of Texas, and they have used our simulations in their master's of business, their MBA program for over the last 10 years. And they use it as actually, it's probably my favorite story about how somebody uses our simulation. They use it as the second day on campus for all of the brand new MBAs. They're actually going to run the program fully virtual this year in a world of COVID. But one of the things that's most interesting about it is this is individual's second day with their cohort that they're about to spend the next two years with. So you can kind of only imagine the intensity and the business acumen that is getting put to the test as north of 200 people compete in the simulator. And in years past, when we've done it in the classroom, we actually break them into seven different rooms. And it's a really fun day for our whole organization to get on site with these MBA students. That is really cool. Wow. University of Texas. That's awesome. How long have you guys been doing that now down there? So we've been doing it for north of 10 years at the University of Texas. We've also worked with UCLA out in California. Many schools on the East Coast have used the simulations as well. But yeah, as an answer to your original question, the bulk of the corporate work that we do is in new manager programs, rising leader, high potential programs, and then at the executive development level. Now, go ahead and let's switch gears just a touch here. I have a question. I want to make sure I get it out before I forget it here, Matt. What are one or two reasons, and I don't want to just, uh, you know, pin this on healthcare. I think this happens across any very large organization. What paralyzes us from making effective and quick decisions? I think the biggest one that we run into is people get very locked into the thing that worked in the past is what's going to work in the future. So it's almost in many ways, sometimes we describe it as a level of analysis paralysis. You almost like if you go down the path too much of trying to go in a different direction, you almost get stuck and you're just scared to move in a different direction. And for many of us, It's been successful, and so we just feel really comfortable with that. So something that we talk a lot about, and I I tried to talk about it from the TED stage, is challenging the constraints, kind of breaking free of what potentially worked before or what maybe feels a little bit safe. And that doesn't mean you have to go down that path. That doesn't mean you have to be drastic. But when you're considering a decision, at least contemplate going down that path, and I think it makes you a more effective decision maker. 
Well, let's go back to the TED talk you were just talking about. You mentioned that the title of it is Three Steps to Better Decision Making. And I love how the TEDx kind of frames it up in regards to the show notes. And it asks the question at the beginning, how can you optimize your decision making by restructuring the steps you take before you decide? I don't want to give everything away because I do want our community to go and watch and listen to your TED talk. But can you give us the abridged or Cliff Notes version of those three steps for us to contemplate? Yeah, so I hit on the first step a little bit, uh, kind of challenging the constraints. And the best way I can describe it is we run these simulations, and that's my lens that I take through a lot of this. And I'm not going to share exactly what the simulations are, but anytime we present a simulation to a group, it's almost inevitable that people's eyes just light up and they just jump in to solve it. You like put a problem in front of them and it's almost like a response where it's just like, I see a problem, I want to solve it. And what we found is the teams that are the most successful are kind of take that big step back and say, what are the constraints? What have they put on us that might break, if we break free from those constraints, we can make a real breakthrough. So our first step was always take that 20,000 foot view, actually evaluate and see if there are constraints on this decision that you can challenge in a creative way. And a lot of teams don't do that. They see a problem, they just want to solve it. So that was our step number one. Our step number two was what we refer to as embracing a pre-mortem. And the reason we call it this, and I feel this way from my time in corporate America, is we do a lot of post-mortems. We wait until something has happened, and then we go back and we kind of look over with a fine-tooth comb and say, this is what went right, this is what went wrong, and this is why it went right, and this is why it went wrong. Teams that are really successful in our simulators, what they do is they embrace a pre-mortem. They contemplate a decision and then they think it is going to be an absolute failure and they figure out why it would fail. And that's a really hard thing to do. It's hard to assume you were going to make a mistake, but successful teams do that and then they act to mitigate those mistakes and it makes them more effective in their decision-making prowess. So those are the first two steps. And the final step is kind of easy, but it's really difficult. And what it is, is it's called check the basics. And the reason we define the step this way is because we've watched these senior, sometimes executive leaders of some of the most prolific companies in the world compete in our simulations and it's something small and silly that trips them up. And what we found is that the more complicated a decision is, the more likely it's a small detail that might trip you up. So that's what we called our third step, which was check the basics. Excellent. Again, if you guys want to listen in and watch Matt talk about these three more in depth, head over to his TEDx talk. Simply search before you decide three steps to better decision making. We'll also have a link to this TEDx talk over at passionatepioneers.com, our free global online community. And Matt, let's now go to what is in front of all of us today, COVID-19. The world for all of us, I don't care what industry you're in, I don't care what type of persona or you know customer you serve, the world has changed and it is going to continue to change as we battle this crisis. What are some of the things that are being impacted in your world that you can share with us that you're coaching up these executives to think about in regards to decision-making in the midst of a crisis like COVID-19. And then even specifically, Matt, as you know, it's even further compounded within 
healthcare because at the end of the day, we are serving these patients that are getting incredibly sick with this virus. So I'll pause there. Would love some of your quick insights and counsel as how should we be looking at the world that is changing so fast and coupling that up with effective decision-making? So the first thing that I would say that hit us was previously, so in a pre-COVID world, we did about 20 or 30% of our trainings fully virtual, meaning, you know, together in the same room. Everybody was in either Zoom or another virtual platform and we were doing the training that way. So you were competing in the simulator, but you were never in the room. That was only about 20 to 25% of our work. The vast majority of clients that we worked with wanted to get people into the classroom for these types of experiences. They wanted the networking, they wanted the bonding, they wanted all of that. Obviously COVID changed everything. So we're doing 100% of our work now fully virtual. And what we're finding people and organizations are coming to us and they're saying, we never realized how much we needed to train people just on the act of how do we build consensus in a virtual world? So if you're in a Zoom call and your team has an unbelievably important decision to make, we're talking to some of our clients in the healthcare industry, obviously some of these decisions are massively important and it's really a little bit more difficult to build consensus. It's a little bit more difficult to make decisions when you all can't be together. And so those opportunities to learn and get a little bit more comfortable with virtual consensus building is something that we're seeing a marked difference in how people want to train now. They actually want to train and put people into the challenges that we're all facing, which is a much more virtual world than it was four to six months ago. Wow, that's very eye-opening, Matt. And of course, here in a moment, we'll ask you where we can get a hold of you online because I know a lot of our executives and leaders in healthcare are contemplating exactly that. I mean, this is in front of us. It's not going away. We have to react accordingly. We can't bury our heads in the sand and we have to understand the constraints in front of us to do exactly that, to build that consensus, but do it in new ways with new tools and in new environments that we weren't doing previously. So thanks for that, Matt. We'll come back uh, again for some touch points on how to get a hold of you to maybe even have some discussions around that. So before we go there, Matt, now let's talk a little bit of future state with ability, with your work, and then of course with the ever-changing world that is, you know, during this pandemic. What does this work look like for ability moving forward in the next, you know, 6, 9, 12, 18 months? And how is that going to continue to help shape some of this work for executives leading their organizations? One of the things that surprised us the most is we had previously had a simulator that was built all around financial acumen. So, kind of just understanding balance sheets and income statements and cash flow. One of the largest requests that we have gotten that in all honesty came as a shock to us is a more senior level finance sim. And what the feedback was, and I don't know if this resonates with you or any of your audience is, people have ascended to the highest levels of corporations and organizations, and they really don't have a base level knowledge of financial acumen. And so our clients actually pressured us to build a simulator that was built more for a senior level audience that was running a PL or that was leading conversations with the finance department. So I think one thing that we've seen that has shocked us a little bit and we're, we're finally catching up to the demand is a level of financial acumen comfort that just maybe wasn't there that is now the senior, senior most leaders of the organization are asking the leaders right below them to have a more conceptual understanding of how finance works at their organization. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And thanks for sharing that and some of the updates of 
where you're seeing the needs in the marketplace. So thank you for that, Matt. Now let's flip the script a bit for you. Again, we have some incredible leaders and executives in our industry here that are serving all over the country and really around the world. And I know they love to help. So what is one problem, need, or question that you or Ability has that our community can contemplate or help you with? The biggest thing that we struggle with right now is we were an organization that was really committed to in-classroom, in-person experiences. We've pivoted and utilized the fact that we've been delivering virtual for a long time. One of the biggest things that we struggle with is in a post-COVID world, which we all hope will be sooner rather than later, are we going to want to go back to the way things were? Will business travel be as ubiquitous as it was before? Will people have the desire to be back in an office setting, to be at you know corporate retreats in conference rooms and boardrooms, or will this new world of a more virtual first home office focus, will that persist in a post COVID world? So I think that's a question that I would have for your audience. Great question. And certainly a question that I think is ever changing as we just continue to learn more and more about this virus and the impact it has on society writ large. So thank you for that. And we'll definitely contemplate that. Of course, to our community, feel free to head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be an article in there for Matt's episode to share some of your insights, ideas, and to really wrestle with this very important question. Or you can simply head over to LinkedIn and find Matt over at Matthew Confer in your search bar over at LinkedIn. So thank you for that, Matt. We do appreciate it. Now let's talk about where we can also get you online beyond LinkedIn. What are some website handles, uh, social media or otherwise, so we can track you down and get involved in all the incredible work that you're helping lead at Ability? Well, I really appreciate that and would love to connect with everybody. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Matthew Confer. You mentioned LinkedIn. I have truly appreciated the LinkedIn community. It has helped me get jobs. It helped me get TED speaking opportunity. And so would love to connect to people over there. And then additionally, as I think you mentioned, we actually have a podcast at Ability and it's called the Learn to Lead podcast. And so if anybody's interested in focus more on leadership development, we'd love to to have you as a listener and a member of our community over there. And how do you specifically spell Ability just so our community can find that as well? It is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E. Perfect. And again, we'll leave those links and uh, contact points in the episode notes, as well as over at passionatepioneers.com. All right, Matt, it's about time to take us home. One of my favorite parts of spending time with leaders just like you is fill in the blank. Please fill this in for us and then we'll close this down. I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because I love building consensus. I love it. Short, sweet, and to the point. So thank you for that, Matt. And again, thank you for taking time for being with us today, Matt. I really appreciate it. Love the insights. This is important information. These are important topics for us to consider here in the healthcare industry as we continue to serve patients all over the country, especially during this time of crisis. So thank you for spending some time with us today, Matt. We certainly appreciate all of your insights and your leadership to continue to make all of us better. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. 
This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode. 